The Congressional Medal of Honor is the United States government's highest and most prestigious military decoration. The stories associated with earning such an award are often inspiring, sad, and in many cases, downright unbelievable. If you ever have the chance to sit down with one of these individuals, I highly recommend you do. On today's episode, I'm humbled to welcome Medal of Honor recipient and epic storyteller, retired U.S. Army Command Sergeant Major Bob Patterson, who, after his high school girlfriend pissed him off, decided to join the Army. We talk about his adventures in Vietnam, the day he earned the Medal of Honor, and plenty of stories you just can't make up, like seeing two World War II legends in their annual fistfight. I hope you enjoy it. I'm your host, Susan, and this is The Ready Room Podcast. Okay, Bob, you ready? I'm ready. All right, we're here in Pace, Florida. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm here with retired Command Sergeant Major Bob Patterson. Served in the U.S. Army from 1966 to 1992. Retired as an E-9, all right, which is the highest enlisted rank in the Army. Served uh, quite impressively. Earned the Army Achievement Medal, Meritorious Service Medal times three, Purple Heart times three. Bronze Star Medal, the Legion of Merit, and on October 9th, 1969, via President Richard M. Nixon, was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> it's it's good to be here down in Florida. <laughs> I know it. All right. I just wish it was warm. This ain't bad, though. It's what is it? It's not compared to the rest of the country. That's true. That's true. They're getting snow up in my hometown of Cleveland, and, and down well, here it's nice and sunny. Bedford actually got three inches. Did it really? The last time I was up there, when it's really snowed, we got, uh, I think we got eight inches, and Fedville and Fort Bragg were closed for two weeks. And in North Carolina, they don't know how to drive in the snow. Don't you know that. No, they ain't got no snow equipment. Right? But you grew up in Raleigh, right? No, I grew up in Fedville. Fayetteville, Fayetteville. Vietnam. So it was just it was fitting that you eventually got to serve in Vietnam. I mean, that was it was <laughs> scripted, right? No, actually, I the only reason I probably made it was because I was dating this girl and she pissed me off on Sunday night, so I showed her ass Monday morning. Dropped out of high school in twelfth grade and joined the army. <laughs> wow, I'm the proverbial one. <laughs> so you were born. April 16th, 1948. Correct. I mean, that's just post-World War II. Korea is, it's just prior to Korea. How was that experience growing up? Growing up in now? Uh, I don't know. You know, in the, in the late I was 40s. raised in, in a tobacco field in North Carolina. I don't have any idea. I know what, I know what uh, the backside of an old gray mule looks like and how to move a plow. Yeah, right, that, but that's, that was it. I, that, my, uh. Childhood, I don't think had any really interesting things in it. So, you, did you grow up on a farm? Uh, well, Daddy was a carpenter, a finished carpenter, and a part-time sharecropper. So we lived on the farm. He he'd do his carpentry work and then come home. And of course, I got uh, once Daddy taught me how to plow. It was okay. While I'm at work today, I want you to plow whatever. It was just hey, I'm going to work. You plow the fields. Uh, I'll see you when I get home. See how things are, and then so so you get into the army. It was courtesy of this girl you were dating at the time. Yeah, how did itch. that work out? <laughs> Comically, <laughs> I really I really don't know because I kind of well she did succeed in 
getting back at me kind of because she got me my first Article 15. Oh, what's that? In basic training. I saw Captain's uh, Mask. Captain's Mask? And this was in basic? In basic training from a full bird colonel. So you got to meet a colonel. Nice. Yeah. What did, uh, how did she get you in Article 15? I was two hours late come, getting back from a weekend pass where I went to see her. Uh, so it was, it's definitely her fault. Her fault. <laughs> and they charged me two days AWOL. Okay. <laughs> so, and this is in training. Basic training. Wow. So you got to meet a colonel. I mean, you're in the Army for how long? Uh, I think it was about six weeks in. It's a good start. Six, seven weeks in. That's Wasn't a good long. start. I mean, recipe for success right yeah, there. Yeah, real. I, I was never late again. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. How'd the relationship go with her? Uh, I left Fort Bragg, and I had been gone for about five months. She sent me a letter. She says, I'm three months pregnant. It's yours. Yes, I was raised on a farm. Yes, I know what an old gray mule looks like. But I can't add and subtract. Yeah. <laughs> so I sent her a letter back and said, well, if they figure out, figured out a way to send them by mail, I'll claim the little bastard. She never contacted, sent me, contacted me since Oh, then. I don't know why. I, I have no <laughs> idea what went wrong. <laughs> so you were gone for five months and she was three months pregnant. And it was wow, that's some magic right there, Bob. <laughs> that's, some, that's some talent. <laughs> so when you got into the Army, what did you start off as? What, what, I was, my original uh, training was uh, infantry. Uh, then I got Vietnam, and at the time they had infantry squads in the CAF platoons. So I was assigned to the infantry squad in the CAF platoon, 2nd 17th CAF, in B Troop. We headed out to the boondocks the first time. I'm in the back of my three-quarter ton truck, watching those grunts walk alongside the road with those 90-pound rucks on their back. I figured out real quick, tis better to ride to ride. walk so is that how <laughs> so you... i became a cavalry scout so you're like i, I i'm gonna jump in the cavalry scout okay what did you guys operate in the cavalry back then what type of vehicles uh i actually rode a gun jeep like on rap patrol yeah and an m60 machine gun back there did you rotate roles are you gunner no driver? no no you, you had a driver you, uh, you had commander which was normally an e5 and then you had the gunner e3 e4 so you were the gunner i was the gunner initially then I became a uh, team leader, so I took over as a sar- in the sergeant's spot as an acting sergeant, uh, and then went from there. Did you name your M60? No. No, because we were just talking off yeah. offline. Yeah. So real quick, we got to refresh. What was the, how many guns do you have right now? I've got f- six pistols, four rifles. I've got a 50 caliber muzzle loader, a Winchester repeater. AR-15, and Baby. Baby. Now, Baby's the one. Baby is a Weatherby 300 wind mag. Baby, reach out and knock the living crap out of you. Now, why did you get Baby originally? I was invited to go to on an elk hunt up in Colorado, Junction City, Colorado. And uh, so, naturally, you know, I'm, I'm in Florida. Okay. What kind of clothes do I need to bring? Whatever's comfortable. Okay. What size of gun do I need to bring? I've got a son-in-law. He's got all kinds of guns. And they said, uh, don't worry about the gun. We'll provide you with a weapon. I said, okay. So I go up there. First thing they do is check me into a hotel. Okay. I got to spend two nights in that hotel. Uh, in, in, out. That was it. Sure. Uh, 
Then they took me down to Kabbalah's, where they outfitted me from head to toe in cold weather gear. Then we went to the range where I was going to verify the zero on the gun that I was going to use. And I met my guide. My guide says, okay, I've already zeroed it. Let's see how close I am. I said, okay. He says, told me which target was the 300-yard target. Okay. Fired one round. He said, dead center. He says, now, go up a little to the left is a stop sign. That's 400. Try it. Bing. He no. said, you're ready. Okay. <laughs> So two shots and you, two shots and you got the green light. I got the green light. Uh, Thirty minutes into the shot, into the hunt, I dropped the elk. He looked at me, says, "How do you like your gun?" I said, "What?" He says, "How do you like your gun?" I said, "What the hell are you talking about?" He says, "Look at your bolt." I looked at my bolt. My name is engraved in it. That's cool. So you got your elk thirty minutes into the hunt. Into the hunt. That doesn't happen. I mean, that's not normal. You know, some dudes. Well, we would have got it earlier. Uh, Actually, when we went out that morning, they said, the owner of the ranch says, okay, I've set up a blind for you. And it's on, overlooking this little valley that the elk come down the valley, cross the road, feed in the hayfield all night. Then they cross the road in the morning, go back up the valley into the hills. Said, okay, so I'm sitting there. It's, it's raining, sleeting, and snowing. And finally, two and a half hours later, that hunter, dry, owner Drove up and says, well, them some bitches would make a liar out of me today. <laughs> so I said, that's no problem. We're going up uh, onto the, into the hills, and we'll find them. So we're up there. We're dri driving, and he looks over and says, elk over there on that hill. Looked over there, and sure enough, about 30 elk in that herd. So we stop. I'm back on the back uh, spare tire trying to get a good sight. Never did get a good sight on it. So uh, we got back in the vehicle. Says we're going up on the plateau. We're going to run into him again. So we got uh, got back in the vehicle, headed back up. My guy looks at me and says, "I sure was hoping you'd get you an elk, but I sure hoping it wasn't going to be that bitch because <laughs> it'd been hell getting her out." Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we we uh going up on the plateau, ran into him just like he said, dropped her, put her on the back. Uh, and oh no, his truck was right close by, so he went and got his truck. Came back, drove right up to her. We loaded her in the back, took it to his uh, range ca uh, cabin, uh, strung her up, and gutted her. So baby didn't disappoint. Baby did not disappoint me one bit. All right, good to go. So that was that's your favorite gun now. So the M60 that you were you were manning back in the uh -huh. day. Did you want to and, and kind of backing up even a little bit further? Did you want to join the army? Was there something about the army that appealed to you, or what made you decide? I was pissed. That was it. She plus I found out she'd been screwing everything in Federal North Carolina. But oh, you me. can say Bobby, you can say whatever you want, man. No I way. found out she was screwing everything in Federal North Carolina, but me. But you? Oh, that's, but that's me. rough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurts even worse. I know. <laughs> so I just said, to hell with it. I don't need. I, I want to be nothing but a damn farmer, so I don't need no damn education. And but so Vietnam I, has already been going on. Yeah. Well, I had never heard of Vietnam. I had no idea what was going on in the world. So this this girl, this <laughs> girl don't know how what how much good she did for my life. <laughs> so when you got there and you're you know you're you get through training, you got your first Article Fifteen, you know, and then when you got to Vietnam, how long from training to actually arrival in Vietnam? I say I got I started training in September of '66. 
I arrived in Vietnam December the 7th, no, December 6th, uh, 1967. So about a year. But I'd spent, uh, I graduated from jump school, which was my final school, uh, in March, April of 67. Was assigned to the 82nd. Then got transferred to the, a whole bunch of us got transferred to the 101st to fill it up to go to Vietnam. Got it. What was life, what was your day-to-day life like in the cavalry when you, throughout Vietnam? Oh, in Vietnam? Yeah. Uh, it was not a continuous firefight 24 hours a day. No. No. You might go a month and never hear, see anything. So you, you get up in the morning, you receive your mission, you go, uh, cavalry, uh, our, we, our gun jeeps were nothing more than a means to get us from Point A to point B so we could get off and walk. And then come back to it in the evening, get back in it, and go back to base camp or go back to our assembly area. So a lot of patrols. A lot of patrols. You take the Jeeps to your patrol area or whatever the mission was for the day. Leave leave two guards with them and start walking. And just walk around Vietnam. Walk around Vietnam, look through through the shacks and everything, see if you can find anything. And I can't remember a single time that, that we found anything on one of those patrols. The only time we made contact on patrol was in May of 68. May of 68, a significant month. Signi- very significant. So what changed uh, from, you know, 67, There's it's pretty quiet, at least where you're at, to 68? Well, now, I started out in uh, Benoit, and then we moved up to Song Bay, had Tet, they pulled A Troop and B Troop, Back down to Saigon, put, put one of, uh, one troop on one hill and one troop on another hill. Says you're the blocking force. We're going to push them out in, to you. Okay, we got more damn firepower in our platoons than infantry companies have in their whole company. So they did. They pushed them out, and it was like a turkey shoot. No kidding. Because they walked right through that valley, valley right between both of us, <laughs> and it took uh, it took two Huey helicopters loaded. To resupply my my gun jeep. That's how much bullet, how much, how many rounds I fired. Holy cow! How was the team that you were with? What were the group of guys like that were in your your platoon? Uh just good old boys. About good old boys. Thing, thing you can say, you know, yeah, you know, we didn't have any racial problems or anything else. You know, we we was just there to help each other, and that was it. We got to be pretty good friends with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my old platoon sergeant, I hated my guts, <laughs> got me my second and third Article 15s. How many Article 15s did you uh, finish with? Three. Okay, so you got them out of the way early. I got, uh, no, I got my third one in Vietnam. Right, but I'm saying you, I mean, you were. Uh, oh, yeah, I got them out, in out your of career, yeah, cr- early, early in my career. career. Get those out of got the way. Got all that stuff out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> Three Article 15s, jeez. That's uh, a consistent number. So three Purple Hearts, three Article 15s. Yeah. Okay. You, Not mean, bad. you mean three enemy marksmanship badges? Yes. Is that what you call them? <laughs> That's what I call them. I didn't duck. <laughs> I didn't duck. Got to work on being quicker next time. That's it. <laughs> but uh, what, once we got, uh, Tet was over with, they put us, uh, loaded us on boats and moved us up to Da Nang where we went, moved from, drove from Da Nang to Wei Fu Bai. And that's where I worked at out of for the rest of the time I was in Vietnam. 
Okay. How long did you, how much total time did you spend in Vietnam? One year. One year. Left, got there on December 6th, left on December the 5th. Wow. Remember the days. Oh, yeah. Remember the days. <laughs> it's interesting to hear the stories of, you know, I'm lucky enough to have conversations with, with other vets and they always remember the day they left. Oh, yeah. Nobody ever forgets. And talk about 30 days out, Pucker Factory gets tight. Oh, I bet. Definitely. Definitely. So I'd like to, if it's all right with you, talk a little bit about um, the day you earned the Medal of Honor. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to just read the citation, and then we uh, go from there. Is that okay? Okay, go right ahead. All right. You're going to get disappointed. All right. But go ahead. <laughs> well, at least everyone knows in advance it's going to be a disappointment. All right, the details of this citation. Rank Specialist 4th Class at time of presentation, Sergeant, highest rank, Command Sergeant Major. So you were a sergeant when you earned the award, right? No, I was a specialist. Specialist, and that's an E4. E4, okay, got it. Conflict Era, Vietnam War. Unit Command, 3rd Platoon, Troop Bravo, 2nd Squadron, 17th Cavalry, 101st Airborne Division. Military Service Branch, U.S. Army. Medal of Honor action date, May 6th, 1968. Medal of Honor action place near La Chu, Republic of Vietnam. Citation. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. Sergeant Patterson, then specialist, distinguished himself while serving as a fire team leader of the 3rd Platoon, Troop Bravo, during an assault against a North Vietnamese Army Battalion, which was entrenched in a heavily fortified position. While the leading squad of the 3rd Platoon was pinned down by heavy interlocking automatic weapons and rocket-propelled grenade fire from two enemy bunkers, Sergeant Patterson and the two other members of his assault team moved forward under a hail of enemy fire to destroy the bunkers with grenade and machine gun fire. Observing that his comrades were being fired upon from a third enemy bunker covered by enemy gunners in one-man spider holes, Sergeant Patterson, with complete disregard for his safety and ignoring the warnings of his comrades that he was moving into a bunker complex, assaulted and destroyed the position. Although exposed to intensive small arms and grenade fire from the bunkers and their mutually supporting emplacements, Sergeant Patterson continued his assault upon the bunkers, which were impeding the advance of his unit. Sergeant Patterson single-handedly destroyed by rifle and grenade fire Five enemy bunkers killed eight enemy soldiers and captured seven weapons. His dauntless courage and heroism inspired his platoon to resume the attack and to penetrate the enemy defensive position. Sergeant Patterson's action at the risk of his life has reflected great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army. Not bad, Bob. (laughs) When you hear that, because you've heard it once or twice before, I'm sure... What goes on? Is it? Does it even? I have no friggin' idea. <laughs> I don't even remember it. I can't. I can't even go to the bar and tell a good war lie. Because I, I have my whole afternoon that day is blank. Even then, like that night, do you? I mean, do you remember? I, I don't. I knew we'd been in a firefight. That's all I knew. So even today, it's it's You're still gone. Man, you can't even. Do you just make stuff up? You know? No, I will not do that. Okay. I have, I have, I've been set in too many bars and listened to war lies. I got you. And I have uh, listened to some of my 
buddies, buddies tell their stories and they get bigger every time. I got you. That's a, you I, know, I ain't the, doing it. So is that, uh, that's, you know, there's, there's people who do, uh, I guess, you know, I'm trying to find a question, but really what I'm trying to get at is, did you know prior to Vietnam as you were growing up, did you have that type of drive or kind of reckless regard for personal safety or selflessness before? Because you're young. I mean, how old were you exactly? I was 20. You're 20. I mean, this is for a 20-year-old uh, to do this. What were you like growing up? I really don't know. Uh, my family was the black sheep of the family. Nobody wanted anything to do with us. Daddy was a drunk and, uh, and a, spouse, a spouse abuser. Uh, so, you know, nobody wanted anything to to do with us uh and we didn't get invited to party to uh the family reunions and all that stuff uh, because we were the black sheep didn't have any money daddy would drink it all so daddy made two of uh, 250 dollars a week as a carpenter in 1950 drank every damn bit of it <laughs> we moved so many times if ever like a kid i said yeah we moved every time the rent came due the rent came due, you moved. We moved. So it's definitely, would you say, a little bit challenging, you know, growing up? I guess you would call it challenging. I, I, I don't know because I, I just don't dwell on that stuff. Right. But, but you had been used to some, at least in that scenario, it sounds like you had seen some adversity as a 20-year-old prior. Yeah, oh, yeah. So when you got to Vietnam, because it's, it's really interesting to hear and I had a conversation with a, with a friend recently about when you're, you know, he, he's been in combat and how he, a lot of it he doesn't remember. It happens, the switch goes, and you just execute. You just do. You yeah. move. You just. The only ones, uh, uh, firefights that I really remember were the three firefights we got into at Calbang, in which was about 10 miles down the road from uh, Way. And. All three times, we got in a firefight because Marines let that little son of a bitch take their tank away from them, and we got sent in to get it back. Uh oh! <laughs> Till on the third time, my squadron commander said, there "Ain't gonna be no fourth one. Send me two to uh, two uh, dozers." He leveled that whole damn place. Boy, <laughs> nothing left, not even rice stalk. Wow. So that was that was after your citation. Like that was after. Uh, Cal was that Cal Bang. Cal Bang was after. Was after. Did anything change in the day to day after that? So after, you know, the the day you earned the Medal of Honor. Following that, because you didn't receive the actual citation you know, you for don't, another. You, you don't even know. Well, a lot of them say they were told they had been put in. I I had no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, left. I spent my whole time Vietnam. Left Vietnam. Went back to Fort Bragg. And that's when I found out. It was after I got back to Fort Bragg. And it wasn't even then. It was months later. What was your reaction when you first found out? I just looked at Major and says, do what? And he says, yeah. Well, he actually, I had a tune sergeant named George Wesley Simmons, first NCO that ever show, showed any interest in developing me as an NCO. 
He came in and told me, Sergeant Patterson, you've got to go over to Corps Headquarters Protocol Office and see Major so-and-so. I never questioned anything George told me. I'm gone. So I get in there, and the Major looks at me and says, Sergeant Patterson, you're going to Washington, D.C. I looked at him, I said, you're out of your damn mind. I ain't got no reason to go up there. He says, oh, yes, you do. You're going to receive the Medal of Honor from the President. And I looked at him, and I says, do What? I didn't even know what it was. See, the Army's not like the Marines. They don't dwell in teaching you what what the different medals are. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> they just teach you to do the job and then go now go do it. Gotcha. We'll figure it out later. And that's how I found out. And then did you go look up what the Medal of Honor was? Yeah. And well, I had seen you know, I had seen Sergeant York. Sure. And Audie Murphy, yeah, you know. And then, so you get a chance to go to D.C. Have you ever been to D.C. before? I had, uh, actually, a girl had moved from Fedville up to Alexandria, Virginia. And that was where I was coming back from when I got was late getting back off. This is Article 15, number one. Okay. When you were two hours late. Two hours late. (laughs) Got charged two days AWOL. (laughs) So when you get to D.C., you know, the process of of getting from Fayetteville to D.C., has the word gone out yet? Do they know? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, well, my whole fam, my whole immediate family—mama and my f- four sisters, my brother—we uh, had, uh, I think, it was twenty-eight people in the, in the group that went up there with me. What's the preparation like for that? Oh, I had—I'm airborne. We were jumboats. I had gone out and I bought me a brand new pair of Cochrans. I had spent. A month and a half getting those Cochrans ready to wear in DC. Okay, I got no, you. Got to refresh my memory here. I'm uh, I'm uneducated on this this stuff. So what what Cochrans shoes? Cochrans jump boots. Oh, your jump boots. Jump boots. All right, these are specific to airborne. Specific to airborne. So, right. Well, at least they were then. They've changed a lot since back then. So you got some new jump boots. I mean, I have got these things are glooks. Just like looking in a mirror. <laughs> and I get up there, there's four of us. Pat Brady, Major. Jack Jacobs, Mike Sprayberry, Captains. And me, Sergeant. Young, still dumb. Silly escort officer comes to me and says, Sergeant Patterson, you've got to wear your low quarters. My what? Says, your low quarters. I says, I don't have low quarters. Everybody's got low quarters. Lieutenant, I threw them some bitches away years ago. We don't wear low quarters in the airborne. He says, oh, shit. So they go buy me a pair of low quarters because I was airborne, and those other three were legs, uh, naps, non-airborne pansies. Oh, (laughs) non-airborne. Change the last word. (laughs) Okay, so low quarters... You got to get your dress or your shoes. Yeah, your regular shoes. Dress shoes. Dress shoes. Got it. You were going to wear your boots. I didn't have low quarters. Nobody in the 82nd had low quarters. Okay. We threw them things away as soon as we got our wings. (laughs) That's the first thing that went in a trash can. That and the bus driver hat. So they had to go find me low quarters, and they had to go get me a bus driver hat because I couldn't wear my cut cap. Man, this is tough. This is a tough day. The fact was... 
the lieutenant was wrong. Okay. And I was right, but I was I fought, I followed orders, mm-hmm. and uh, they offered me a battlefield commission, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, "Well, that would be really nice." But you're a high school dropout. You've got to have a college degree to be an officer. Your life expectancy as an officer is less than that of a machine gunner in combat. <laughs> so I, I turned it down. So you turned what down they, the battlefield commission. What they didn't tell me. What that little stupid son of a bitch didn't tell me. I would have been promoted to uh, first lieutenant. Or I would have been promoted to lieutenant, second lieutenant. I would have went back to 82nd. Or I would have went back to Fort Bragg where I would have been assigned to special projects at core headquarters where my whole mission would be go to college. That I got me my high school diploma, that I got me my four years college, and I'd have come out a senior first lieutenant or a captain. Now, does that, was that something you were interested in at the time? I was interested in it simply because of rank and money. That was it. I'm glad I didn't do it. Sure. Because now the more I think about it, why the hell would I want to volunteer to do something that requires me to go have dinner with people I don't like? <laughs> it's a fair argument. It's a fair argument. Plus the fact I was married to a Cherokee, and about the time one of them officer's wives told her she had to change her drapes or something, the war part, the war paint would have gone on. <laughs> ah, I see, I see. So when you got to... So you got your uniform squared away. I got my, got my uniform All right, squared so you're wearing the right uniform. I got, I'm, I, I, we went through the whole ceremony, spent 20 minutes in the Oval Office with Nixon, just shooting the bullshit like we are right now. And then we had the ceremony, and we go back in the office for final little farewells, and they, uh, they looked at uh, Nixon looked at us and says, well, you gentlemen have a choice. You spend another week here in Washington, D.C., I'll pay for it. I mean, the Army's going to pay for it. Or you can fly down to Houston and join the Medal of Honor Society at their annual convention. Well, them three captains, that major and them three, two captains decided they wanted to go to Houston. Okay, I was going to stay in D.C. But uh, all four had to do the same thing. So the next one looked at him and says, well, take my plane. <laughs> No way. That's when I say I stole this plane. So that, so you do tell a story. Yeah, oh, yeah. You tell, I tell you stole story. President Nixon's plane. Yeah. That's a yeah. pretty good story. So we, uh, we're in the plane. We're headed to Houston. This is Air Force One. Air Force One. Well, the aircraft. Not, it ain't Air Force One because the president ain't on it. Right. But it's the airplane. It's the airplane. Uh, and it's just the four of you? Just Where you got your families, oh, friends? It, no, my wife was with me. All the rest of them had gone back home. So uh, we uh, flew down to Houston, and on the way down, we're sitting up in the lounge having a drink or two, and this crew chief, he keeps coming up and asking me questions, asking me about this, asking me about that. Finally, Brady, Pat, Pat Brady, uh, looks at me and says, why does hell does he keep asking you? I says, I don't know. Could be he's my wife's cousin. <laughs> Really? Really. Never met him before. And he works on Air Force One. He was what, a crew, he chief, he was crew, crew chief, chief on Air Force One. No kidding. <laughs> That's a small world. Yeah. That's a small world. Then them assholes left me in the Houston Astrodome. 
Wait, we, we visited Astrodome as a group society. Right. And the assholes, all of them, go get on the buses and leave my young ass at Astrodome. I don't even know the name of the hotel we're staying at. So the officers <laughs> bailed on you. That, uh, that whole society bailed on me. There was like 400 and something. <laughs> so what was going on there? So it was the. Uh, it's, it's a, every year, two years, the society would have a convention where they would raise money and that was how they ran the headquarters uh for two years now we do it every year where do they do it now still in houston no no it's where uh cities bid for it and uh like our our last one was in boston that will be the that was the fourth one we've had in boston next one's going to be in knoxville and after that it's going to be new orleans so it rotates each year well uh uh we try to keep scheduled uh, three to four years out, so that uh, it takes two, at least two years to even get this thing to be a decent convention to put it on. And what goes on at the convention? Uh, oh, we uh, we have our uh, society open meeting and closed meeting, where closed meetings where we do everything. Uh, open meetings where general information is put out to the families and all that. Then the families leave. <clears throat> There's nothing left but us, and it gets down and dirty. Uh, a few words get thrown around. Uh, I've seen uh, Doolittle and Boynton get in a fist fight. <laughs> and wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Say that again. I've seen Doolittle and Boynton get in a fist fight. So Jimmy Doolittle and Pappy, Pappy Boynton got in a fist fight. At in the general and in the closed meeting in the closed meeting, this yeah. is at it's all metal. The two fight for all the time. Yeah, I mean they were fight. They all they had to do was see each other and they would fight. No kidding, that's hilarious. That was like me in the ninth grade in high school, getting in fights. Me and Stanley Wyndham every time. I don't know why. To the day, I don't know what started the first fight, but every day, all our lovely. Um, Brother and sister students would guide us till we saw each other. So they, they knew if they we saw each other, fight. the fight was on, and they were going to stand back and watch it. <laughs> so Pappy Boynton and Jimmy Doolittle get in a fight. All right. So for it, some people might not be up to speed on why those two names are historically significant. Can you give us a just okay. a quick historical? Uh, list? Pappy. Uh, well, it was they were both World War II veterans. Uh, Jimmy was Air Force, I think. Yep. And Pappy was a Marine. Yep. Both of them were pilots. Pappy flew the Corsair. Jimmy Jimmy threw the, flew the B-27. And Jimmy led the raid on Tokyo. Where the, whole, the whole squadron went down. And a lot of them got captured. Uh, Jimmy didn't. Pappy, he led the Black Sheep. They were the assholes of the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> And they would fight in a heartbeat, including Pappy. No kidding. So were you surprised? Or was it normal when you see Pappy Boynton and Jimmy Doodle having a fist fight? Is that? I got to be normal. That was normal. It got to be normal. <laughs> Gosh. I've seen uh, one of our guys, Matt Irvine, World War II, got knocked out in the hallway in a hotel by a Vietnam veteran, <laughs> Ron Ray. <laughs> so everybody's, this is a, there's a lot of good fun going on. Oh, with yeah. these things. But Jay, you didn't back down from it. I have uh, one, uh, I don't know whether you know him or not, Mike Thornton. No. 
Navy SEAL. Okay. Everybody swore Mike Thornton was on steroids. Huge. Boy. Is he, what, what era? Vietnam. Vietnam, okay. Yeah. And he was, he was a SEAL. <laughs> but I mean, my, Mike's action, part of Mike's action was he swam four miles in open sea, carrying two people on his back. She was a monster. You look, look at me. <laughs> I'm a little skinny fart. <laughs> so Mike and I got into it, and I said, he said, well, we'll go outside and settle this shit. I said, let's go. You may come in one way, but you ain't going to come out that way. You probably will whip my ass, but I'm going to get mine in. <laughs> wow. I'm a dirty fighter. It's, yeah, right. There you go. Oh, Especially against, it sounds like he was a pretty big dude. Oh, God. He'd make a lineman in the NFL look small. And was this at one of the conventions? Yeah. So no, no. This was uh, years later. Uh, we got. Uh, well, I'll tell you that story. But we were in New York, and we were in a meeting, a board of directors meeting, and both of us were on the board, and that's where it came from. Uh, but uh, well, uh, we went for years and years having that meet convention every two years, and then uh, one of our our president, who happened at the time to be J. Elliott Williams, Navy Gunners, gun, Gunners Mate? Gunners Mate, okay. Okay. Uh, but uh, Elliott was president, and he met this guy named, uh, now you're going to play this damn game with me, aren't you? <laughs> That's all right. No hurt. Can't remember, can't remember his damn name. But, Elliot met him, and they were talking, and uh, he asked Elliot, says, how do you guys raise money? So Elliot told him, we have a convention every two years. And we, we, what money we raise is what we run our headquarters with and do, do our thing. He says, you guys shouldn't be running around the country with your hands out and begging. He says, why don't y'all let me set you up a foundation to raise your money for you? So Elliot brings it back, and... Uh, I haven't almost had his name. That's uh, all right. It'll it'll come. It'll no come. Worries. No worries. But uh, uh, he, uh, Elliot presented it to society. Society says, "Hell, it sounds great to us." So he sets it up. He calls four, seven of his buddies on Wall Street. Says, "You're now members of the Medal Congressional Medal of Honor Board of uh, Directors, uh, Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation Board of Directors. Your first meeting is on such and such a date. Bring a hundred thousand with you." And then what happened? Uh, they showed up? They, oh, hell yeah, they showed up. Wow. <laughs> Almost had it again. <laughs> That's all right. Don't worry about but it. But anyway, he set it all up, and uh, they started raising the money for us. So now, uh, now that we're, you know, it's kind of hard to have a convention when you've got 350, 400 people that you got to, with guests that you've got to make transportation arrangements for, hotels, so we're down to, uh, like, we've got 60, 67 uh, right now. So it's not that hard. We do conventions every year. And, uh, John Rangus. John Rangus. There we go. See? John Rangus. He, uh, he used to own um, waste management. Or not. Is that the green truck? Waste management. Yeah. yeah. He uh, used to own it. From He's from Pittsburgh. And okay. Another. Was he a Medal of Honor winner no. also? No. Oh, this was just somebody Elliot had met. Okay, and Elliot was our president. The president. He was he was Bosun's mate, 
and he was the president of the society. World War II vet. No, Vietnam. Vietnam boats. He was on a uh, on a river uh, river boat. Wow. So this convention uh, is it a y'all sell tickets? Is there nope. presentations nope. or what's nope. the? Nope. How do you nope. generate nope. income? Uh, well, it's up to the committee. The city has, sets up a committee, and they are the ones do all the raising the money. The society gives out four awards: uh, Patriots Award, our highest. Distinguished Citizens Award, our second highest, our uh, Tex Macquarie Award, and the Bob Hope Award. And are those, what are those four individually? What what? Well, it's the people who have done things great, like the Bob Hope Award. Bob Hope. Bob what Hope. did Bob Hope do? Entertain troops. So you're going to have to be somebody that does something for the for the troops, like. Uh, um, oh, damn, I'm getting brain farts. Right, let me see if I can help you. Uh, singer, uh, Clint, no, not Clint Black, uh, Clint Eastwood received it. Clint Eastwood. People like that. All right. And the, the committee develops who, who, who they want to give it to. We give them particulars. This is what you have to show us. Right. Because we vote on it. And they, so they present the names to us and we vote. And it's people, normally it's people who, whose names will, Bring money in. Because we'll make two, three million dollars off that convention. Okay. So you've got a chance to meet some interesting people. Oh, yeah. Who was it? Oh, uh, we had a convention in Denver. And I was vice president. No, I was secretary at the time. Supposed to be sitting at a front table. Because we tell them what the seating arrangement is going to how you, how you, we don't tell them how they're going to seat everybody else, but we do tell them how they're going to seat the recipients. That's very, very formal. You got four leadership positions president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. Those will be forced, will be in the first four tables. After that, it becomes by war, by age. And I was supposed to be setting up, and uh, Clint Eastwood was at my table. All right. And so was. Oh, he's damn it! He's a he's an investment guy. Wears wears ten, a shoe, uh, old wrinkly gray suit and tennis shoes. Well, uh, Warren Buffett? No, not Buffett. Used to be on Fox quite a bit. Uh, hell, I can't think of his name. Nah, I don't, so you're hanging out with Clint I'm Eastwood. Spo- I'm supposed to be sitting at that table. Clint Eastwood is there. He's there. Well, I at my table. Ain't no seats. I say something to the uh, girl that was there that was a part of the uh, committee and she says well there's no seats there's no seats okay don't bother me so I go back and I'm standing at the back of the room and our secretary at the time Carol Sharon no Carol Carol comes up and says was it Carol or Cheryl Sharon anyway one of the two she comes, what are you doing back here I says I ain't got I don't have any seat what do you mean? There's no seats at my table. They're all taken. I'll fix that. She, come, she comes back and says, I'm going to have to get Victoria because this lady ain't listening. I don't care. It's like this. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. When I get through, I'm going up to my room. I'm taking this damn monkey suit. I'm dressed in dress mess. I'm taking this monkey suit off, and it ain't coming back on. 
So I'm standing there smoking, Linda and I. And here comes Victoria. Bob, Bob, I got it fixed. Your, ta your seats are there. So we go back down. And sure enough, well, what this yo-yo had done, he had two friends he decided to bring with him. Oh, uh, okay. And he just put them in my seat. <laughs> no, sorry, buddy. Sorry, Linda, that's not going to work. Tickled Linda to hell off because she got to sit beside Ms. Eastwood, and all the two of them did was all so, night so, long miss the whole dinner, dessert, and everything. So your wife is just talking to Clint Eastwood the whole time? No, his wife. Oh, talking to Clint Eastwood's wife the whole yeah. time. Yeah. All right, got it. That sounds fun. But uh, then, uh, let's see. But yeah. I, I, so that goes on every year. It goes on every and year. And so even the, even the youngest and most recent Medal of Honor winners – uh, they participate as well sometimes? Oh, yeah. Anytime a society has an event, all recipients and a guest are invited, or all recipients are invited to every event, and they can, if it's an open event, then they can bring a guest with them. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be a spouse, just a guest. So you like I do a lot of golf events. Golf events? Uh, with, uh, well, the golfing, the hunting. Uh, even the NASCAR races, uh, I've always t I've taken a guest with me. But if somebody like uh, I'm going to, to a golf event uh, in Scottsdale, and I'm taking my realtor that's home in this house with me because he, he and I golf together. Oh, nice, nice. So I went. Uh, I was lucky enough to hang out with uh, Kyle Carpenter. Oh, he's a god. He's a nicest young he is kid. he is yeah we had a we, we met through a mutual friend we're hanging out having some tacos you know you know bs and but uh he uh, and correct me he's still currently the youngest medal of honor winner or most recent mm -mm. no Uh, he is a nice. I, I don't, he might still be the youngest. He's not the newest, but he definitely could still be the youngest. Gotcha. So even everyone, you know, it's an invite to every recipient every year. And for this year, 2022, do you all know where it's going on? Uh, yeah, Knoxville. Knoxville, Tennessee. Good spot. Definitely a good spot. Yeah, we've been to Louisville, uh, Knoxville, uh, Phoenix. Dallas, New York, Charleston, all over. It's just whoever puts in a bid, and uh, the bid, the city will uh, put a committee together, and the committee will come to the board the convention and make a presentation to, to the board of directors. If the board of directors accept them, then they get notified, and now get to work. Game on. Game on. So here's a question. You've gotten a chance to, I mean, this has been going on for, for years. So you've got to see different generations of Medal of Honor winners from various Recipient. recipients. Appreciate Please. It. No, 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 thank you, thank you. Corrections, to fire away. So Medal of Honor recipients, different wars, different generations, different branches. Are there any similarities you noticed, you know, amongst the recipients? The only thing that, well, I, I, I don't... I don't judge people. I, I listen. I, I do a lot more listening than I do talking. And the one thing that I, no matter where we go or who, who is or anything that you hear is, 
God, they're so humble. Like a school uh, during a convention, we'll, we'll go. We'll go out to a high school and talk to the high school kids. Uh, we'll go to visit soldiers in uh, soldiers' home or in uh, nursing homes. Uh, anything to we we want to get to the community and we preach preach patriotism to them. So humility is is a that's a trend. It's a trend among among us. We're very humble guys, even though we got all that notoriety. Very humble. Gotcha. That's cool. So, you know, this is this is one chapter of your career. So pretty early on. But you also spent another, gosh, was it 25, 20 plus years serving in the Army after, you know, you received the Medal yeah. of Honor oh, after yeah. Vietnam. What did you take from your Vietnam experience when you started to, as you climbed the, the enlisted ranks and got more and more responsibility, what was, was there any lessons learned from Vietnam that you started applying as you started getting more responsibility? I don't. Not from Vietnam, no, because I was young. I was young and dumb and full of it. You couldn't tell me anything. Uh, that's why I like George Wesley. What impressed me so much about George Wesley? I, we were at Fort Bragg, and I had a soldier that had screwed up, so I was going to punish him. I was an E five. I was his team leader. I was going to punish him. I was going to make him do a, a fifteen mile road march, and I had you know. Of course, got to get the platoon sergeant's permission. So I go talk to George. George says, okay, I got no problems. He says, now, I do have a question. He says, what's that? He says, how are you going to make sure he does it? You ain't supposed to ask me a question like that. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at him and said, you had not thought about that, have you? So how do you know he's not just going to go out and sit down under a tree? Then come back in a few hours later. He says, Sergeant Patterson, the way you do that is you walk it with him. You don't have to wear a ruck or anything, but you got to walk it with him to make sure he walks it and he knows you're going to make sure he does it. So that's what I, that was my first lesson as to on being an NCO. So you walked it. I walked it. And never had another problem with that kid the rest of the time he was there. He was your, so Wesley was George, George we Wesley. George Wesley was my platoon sergeant. And he is the one you had mentioned earlier. He's yes. the first. First NCO that showed an, an interest in developing me as an NCO. What was he like? What type of, what was his personality, uh, his kind of, what was he like? <laughs> I think I was his pet. Because every payday, we took my car. I went to Vietnam to the titty bars and had a few drinks. <laughs> Did you drive? I, I was either his pet Did he make you or drive? his dumbass, one of the two. <laughs> Did you drive? He was making, oh, yeah, yeah, I had to drive him in my car. You were his driver. I was his driver. Was his driver, okay. Uh, but, so, but he took care of you. He took care he of you. He looked out for you. Oh, yeah. And the easy thing to do would have been just say, hey. Well, I made uh, seven, eight, and nine first time out of the second, in the secondary zone. What does that mean? Promotion. Okay. I hit, you, you go to, into the secondary zone, then you go into the primary zone. Uh, so they take a few out of the secondary zone, not very many. 
uh, like maybe two percent. So did you take some of his leadership style and adopt it as your own? I tried to, but George had a kind of weird George. <laughs> George was my platoon sergeant. Then George got moved down to, to as an E seven. He got moved down to headquarters troop company. Headquarters to headquarters company, five oh fourth infantry as first sergeant. So he's an E seven in an E eight position. And he's been gone for a couple of weeks, and he comes up to uh, squadron, and he gets me up to the side and says, "Hey, Bob, I got a question for you." I says, "Sure." No, it was Sergeant Patterson. I have a question for you. I says, "Sure." He says, "I need a good man that I can depend on for my S and T platoon sergeant. Would you be interested in coming down and being my platoon sergeant down there?" I says, "Sure." Anything you want me to do, George, I'm going to do. So I go down there. I'm an E5. I'm feeling an E7 position. George doesn't tell a damn soul who I am. And we went like that for about six months. Now we've got to stand an IG inspection. IG for the 82nd Airborne Division is a Lieutenant Colonel Dillon. So everybody called him Matt Dillon. <laughs> Gunsmoke. <laughs> George goes in. And he, he does not like to come to commander at all. He wants this sucker gone. He goes in and tells the uh, company commander, uh, I've selected the S&T platoon as our Class A platoon for the inspection. Oh, no, we can't use them. I'm the sorriest, grungiest son bitches we got. You got to pick somebody else. No, Sergeant Patterson will have them ready. I guarantee you. So, yeah, so George wins. My platoon becomes the Class A inspection platoon. This is the platoon that's going to present for the inspector. This is the platoon that's going. This is the platoon that the IG himself will inspect. So the inspector general is going to inspect your platoon, platoon. and you're the platoon sergeant. I'm an right. E five and an E seven position. And how many how many soldiers do you got? Uh, I had about thirty. All right, I I got them in there every night, spit shining. I I got them ready, and uh, so we're all standing out there. I can just see George was standing up there looking at that captain. And says, "Told you you'd have them ready." And the captain just agreeing like, like hell with him. So we're standing there. I've turned the platoon over to my platoon leader. I'm at my position at the back of the platoon, at the rear of the platoon. Colonel Dillon comes up. Lieutenant calls the platoon to attention and everything. Turns around, reports to Colonel Dillon. Colonel Dillon looks at him and says, Lieutenant, have your platoon sergeant come forward. No. It's right there. <laughs> Can't miss it. Nobody knows. So no. they don't even know who they you are. They have I mean, they literally no, don't have a clue. I literally have no idea. Wait, wait, hang on. But in your, on the uniform you're wearing, it's got your Medal of Honor I've ribbon. on there. Now, some of the people in Batoon knew that when they saw it, they knew what it was. Nobody else in the company knew. <laughs> so I'm you're, you're undercover. So you're I'm undercover. undercover. <laughs> so the lieutenant turns around. Turns hard, front and center. Slap two, do my little thing. Up, take my place one step to the left and one step to the rear of the lieutenant. 
Dylan steps in front of the lieutenant. Captain's standing right next to him. You look good, Lieutenant. You look really good. Steps over in front of me, goes, Lieutenant, dismiss your platoon. Captain, I will see you and your officer right fucking now. He chewed that captain for 30 minutes. Calling him every stupid son of a bitch who was. How dare you, a goddamn stupid ass, let me walk in front of a Medal of Honor recipient and you don't warn me first, you go stupid motherfucker. You ought to be a goddamn private. You ain't even good enough to be a fucking private. I mean, he cussed that captain for everything he was worth. Next day, captain's gone. George got rid of the captain. <laughs> and that's what he did. Wait, was that a... So he was pissed because the captain didn't... Let him have them. Captain didn't even know. Because George never told him that I was in that company. No, Sergeant Major didn't even know it. Battalion Sergeant Major didn't even know it. So you're just undercover. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what George tells me to do. <laughs> but he, he was he was a fantastic he was a fantastic NCO. Wow. So that was your first was that your first platoon level leadership position? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then from there, where did your career go? Let's see. I left there and I. I, well, I left the platoon. I went to the operations room as the uh, in operations NCO. Then I left the operations and went to the 18th Airborne Corps Sports Parachute Club as the assistant manager of it. Ran it for three years. Uh, okay, so then what'd you do? I went to the Fort. Uh, 64th fourth and 64th armor all right where was that at fort bright fort bright so you spent most of your career in north carolina no i spent six straight years i had to re-enlist to go to korea to get off that goddamn base they wanted to keep you there oh yeah they took they automatically cut me off orders to germany five times why was that (laughs) of the medal of honor recipient they weren't gonna lose that so you're you're a bit of a promotional tool yeah Interesting. But you eventually got to go to Korea? Oh, yeah. I had to re-enlist and go to that shithole. When was that? What year was that? Uh, 74. And then what was, 75. Your, what was your role there? I was in the 8th uh, uh, Troop of 4th uh, uh, and 7th Cav. Platoon Sergeant. Okay. Platoon Sergeant. Had you been a... No, no. I was Tank Section Sergeant. Tank Section Sergeant. What tanks did you guys have? We didn't have a tank. We had a vehicle that they wanted to call a tank because it had a 152-millimeter gun tube. But it was made out of magnesium and aluminum. That ain't no tank. It was a reconnaissance vehicle for the cavalry, the Sheridan. The Sheridan. Mm-hmm. I got to look that up. I'm not, I'm not too savvy on that one. That everybody wanted to call it a tank because of the size of the gun tube. Well, it had that gun tube for one reason. It had one round that was three feet long. At 152 millimeters, called the Shillelagh missile. It had an uncl- a classified range. The unclassified range that you could say about was you got a 12 power scope for the gunner. If you can see it, you can hit it. Just put the crosshairs on it and let it fly. 
152 millimeter. That's huge. That's gigantic. And it had one round. That's that. Well, no, no, it had more rounds. Right, right, that. but only but one type. That, of, that one was type the reason round. it had that. Uh, that it had that 152 millimeter gun tube was for that missile. It had it had a heat round, hep rounds, flechette rounds, and everything that were 152 millimeter. That's so big. I uh, I did my my. <laughs> well, you can drive, you can fly, fire you pull up to a tree line, fire chalet chalet or not a flechette round, flechette round at it, drive through and never touch a limb. Driving the whole vehicle, hundred and fifty-two millimeter. It wow, make big holes. But it still wasn't a tank. Nope. Hell, it's magnesium and aluminum. Any, was it armored? No, the heaviest thing on it, it was, was magnesium. A gun. It was a gun. It was a it was gigantic a bigger, gun. It had the we had the main gun tube. We had a seven point six two coax machine gun. Coax, sure. And the uh, TC had a, a fifty caliber machine gun. Wow. The. Uh, I was on, I did my factor with my four-day controller, <coughs> 2nd Tank Battalion at Camp Lejeune. So we had a 120 millimeter yeah. uh, main gun. I didn't know there was a 152 millimeter main yep. gun back in the day. Wow. So what was your guys' mission there? I mean, so that's. Well, we were a light, they called us light armor because we were in the 82nd. And the Sheridan can be dropped from an airplane. It'll also swim. And that's the reason. Plus, eighty seconds got to move fast. So, and uh, we uh, max speed on it was uh, like eighteen miles an hour, unless you uh, fucked with the throttle uh, with the um, governor. Governor, governor, take the governor off. No, 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 you can't do that. They'll deadline the vehicle, but you can disconnect the cable, gas cable, from the governor. Take the one that comes out of the governor and snatch it. And I'll rip every damn tube gear and that son of a bitch out. Put it back together. You don't have a governor. <laughs> and that's the son of a bitch run 30, 40 miles an hour. That'll help. That's a little bit quicker. <laughs> that's a good pace. So when you were in Korea, this was, a, were you guys just more on standby as a, you know, what was your mission set? You in, Korea, in Korea? No, you, uh, I was in 2nd Infantry. Uh, we had our battlefield positions. In fact, uh, remember when the Major got attacked with the axe? No. In Korea, on the on the border. What year was this? Oh God, seventy six, seventy five, seventy six. So, so uh, I wasn't alive yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, I got home. From, I came home. The I, the society was having a convention that year. All right. And I was given a thirty day drop on my tour of duty in Korea, so I could make that convention, and it was a. Uh, 1776, 1976, yeah, type convention. Right. So nobody was going to say no. So I'm home, I'm watching the news, and I'm looking at my Sheridan sitting in this battle position overlooking the MGM River because they just killed that major. What what happened with uh, the major? North, uh, he got into the DMZ. And North Korea has attacked me with the axis. I didn't know about this. I didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there any, what were the repercussions for that? Uh, other than everything going on alert and everybody thought we were fixing to go into North Korea, uh, nothing came out of it. Gotcha. I did well, not I probably know got rode up as a training accident. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. 
I know. I wonder if they. Uh, like I said, I probably got rode up as a train accident. Interesting. So seventy six. Now you're back for the convention. Then you go back to Korea. How long? No, did no, you... no. My tour of Korea was over. That was it. I was going back to the eighty second. I said, "Oh hell no, I can't anymore because I can't jump, and I'm not going to be a leg on Fort or Nat on Fort Bragg." Were you injured or what? Uh, oh yeah, I tore my back off. My when I had, I was a uh, uh, training in our uh, training officer, assistant club manager, jump master. And safety officer. We haven't even talked about when you forgot to dodge the Vietnamese bullets three, oh. ti- three times. When you got three purple hearts. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that real quick. Okay. I have three purple hearts. I never got injured. I didn't get injured bad enough to get past the platoon medic. Now, all of mine is shrapnel and uh, ricochets. I had half my flash suppressor in this arm. Every once in a while, a piece of it will still come out. Uh, I got one hole right here. It looks like a bullet hole. So by, your right, by your right you know, knee? By my right knee. So I tell everybody it is. So you, it, it looks ain't. like it, but it's not a bullet hole. No. So, so you got, it's a cyst. So you've got shrapnel in your... Legs and arms. Legs and arms. And every now and then a piece pops oh, out. Pop out. Still now. Flash suppressor will come out of my arm. <laughs> okay. It'll still a little... Spike. So you didn't... I mean, it's not like you were I moving. I, no, I did not get hurt. I'm, I was so damn, I don't remember it to start with. And then I didn't really get hurt. Were any of those from the day you earned the Medal of Honor? Yeah, all the grenade shrapnel. It was grenade shrapnel. Mm-hmm. And you I remember, wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't my own damn grenade. I was just going to ask. Like, I wonder <laughs> if you got excited, just chucked your grenade and ran right after it. So. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how I got my enemy marksmanship badges. There you go. <laughs> uh and then, all right, so. So I come back. They got me going back to the 80 seconds. I say, ain't no way in hell. So I go, uh, I'm an E6. I'm in the secondary zone. I go to Hoffman Building in D.C. And I talk to them people. I said, I can't go back to Fort Bragg. I can't jump anymore. I don't want to give up. I don't want to uh, refuse to jump. But I don't want to go back to Bragg. Okay, no problem. We can put you on drill sergeant duty at Fort Bliss, Texas. Okay. What else, Fort Bliss? <laughs> El Paso. El Paso, Texas. There is nothing blissful about Fort Bliss. So I go down there, and I'm uh, E6, and I report in, drill sergeant duty. And I said, well, at least I'll help me on my promotion. Shit. George Wesley was sitting on my promotion board. I got selected out of the secondary zone. So I go on drill sergeant, do the second, make E7, and I don't know it. I'm already at a damn E7. George also sat on my E8 board and my E9 board. That's good to have friends. <laughs> and I was selected at a secondary zone on both of them. Good to have friends. But uh, How was being a drill instructor? I enjoyed it. I, I, I really did. Because you get to, and this is these are basic recruits coming through, right? Oh, these are tra- trainees. Trainees. They're, tra- they're civilians. So you, I mean, this is the first. First. This is where I got my first Article 15. Sure. And this is how many years later are you oh, now God. in the being an instructor? That was in. So 66. So that was in 77, 76. So 10 years later, you're back where, it's, where you started, but you're on the other side. I'm on the other side. I did uh, two, two and a half years as a, as a drill sergeant. And 
I don't think you've ever heard of uh, Julius Becton. I have not. Julius was my squadron commander in Vietnam. Julius gave me my third Article 15 in Vietnam. What was the third Article 15 for? Truth? Sure, whatever you want. Well, it was actually... Uh, no, that was it. That was the reason. Should have been a court-martial. Sleeping on guard duty. Ah, uh, On gotcha. the perimeter. Gotcha. So it should have been a court-martial. But that wasn't a good part of that. I reported that morning to Julius, the lieutenant colonel. Julius started laughing. Julius started laughing. And, the whole, and I have learned to keep, your mouth, keep my mouth shut. The whole time he gave me that Article 15, he was laughing. And I never could figure out why. And I wasn't going to ask. Ran into him years later at a parade in Austin. And I looked at him. I said, sir, can I ask you a question? By now, he's a retired three-star general. And he says, I says, he says, yeah. I said, you remember that Article 15 you gave me? He started laughing. <laughs> I said, that's what I was thinking. What you find so damn funny about that? And he looked at me and said, Sergeant Major, I'm the only commander in the military that can say he recommended a person for a medal of honor in the morning and gave him an Article 15 in the afternoon. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But I was on, I was senior drill sergeant. I was at Fort Bliss and had battery out on a rifle range. I got a phone call from the older room. So, senior drill, you got to come back. Main uh, post and go to the building such and such and see some general over there. Another damn general. So I go back. I walk in the door and there stands Julius Becton. He's made. He's got two stars on. Now put yourself in my position. And he tells me we we'll talk for a little bit and he says, "Well, Sergeant Patterson." I just got selected for my third star. God, sir. And he was. He was a fantastic commander. And what he was there for, he was in charge of the M1 tank test. Oh, nice. Because they tested it at Fort Bliss. And so, congratulations, sir. He says, yeah. I'm pinning my third star on. Then I'm going to Germany. And I'm taking over the 7th Corps. Now, before I leave the States, is there anything I can do for you? What I feel like have? this is a softball. Let me guess, because you had been shut down going to Germany five times, and now this is, you've known Julius since he was a lieutenant colonel, and he gave you your third Article 15. Mm -hmm. So you've known him, and now he's a, about to be a three-star, uh -huh. and he's going to Germany, the place you wanted to go to. I, I, I hope never you, said I wanted to go. Okay, you tried five times. No, I didn't. The Army tried, the tried, Army tried to send, to send me send five okay, times. Right. The 82nd kept blocking it. Okay, so I, I'm going to guess that you went to Germany. No. No. The bell never rang. It never even tingled. He was asking me to go to Germany with him. I'd have been sitting in Mainz, Germany, in his headquarters, and could do no wrong. It never even tingled. Wait, you didn't know what he was trying to say? No, it never dawned on It just on went right over your head. Right over my head. 
<laughs> well, sir, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. <laughs> What's well, not bad? You want to go to Hawaii? Yes, sir. Okay. Here come my orders for Hawaii. That's actually really good. Hawaii's a good choice. Uh, it, it's not bad. Uh, my first, I did two tours over there. First one was with the uh, 24th, 25th Infantry Division. My second one was a, oh, it was a bastard of a assignment. I mean, I actually had to get up every morning, put on Class B uniform, and report to the University of Hawaii. It was a bitch. Were you re recruiting or what? <laughs> no, I was senior drill, drill instructor and training NCO for the ROTC detachment. Uh, <laughs> I had, you're in Hawaii. I, I'm in Hawaii. I had to go down and look at that young pussy all, all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii offer, has some good perks. Yeah. That's for sure. Now, my first tour, I enjoyed my first tour over there much more than I did my second one. Because uh, Hawaiians were still had a low high spirit that slow on the interstate that slow down and let you in and all, all that. Now, shit, they try to run over you. You try to get in front of them. There is no aloha spirit anymore, and I don't. I don't blame them. A bunch of goddamn foreigners come over and try to buy my home out from underneath me. I'd be pissed too. Fair argument. Fair argument. So when you did the <laughs> drill instructor Fort Bliss. You're an E7 now. I'm an E7. Eventually, you get to E9. So you, uh -huh. you work your way up to E9. Oh, Gulf War kicks off in <coughs> 1989. 89, 90. Uh, 90. 90. What was your, where were you at when that was? Fort Bliss. Fort Bliss. All right. But what was your, were your role? I was the, well, I was for, for squadron, uh, sorry, major. I was the, in the aviation squadron. So, yeah, well, this was something else. You've been in the ground side. You've been with grunts for how many years up to this point? Uh, 24. And then this is your, you're supposed to be your sunset tour, right? Yeah. And they put you with an aviation unit. How was that cultural uh, difference? Total, uh, day and night. Absolutely, totally, day and night between the two of them. I, uh, I did my time in, the, in Hawaii as a platoon sergeant. Came back from Hawaii to Fort Bliss to L Troop, uh, 3rd Squadron, as first sergeant. Then I went to the Sergeant Major's Academy. Uh, when I left Sergeant Major's Academy, I was went to Hawaii. And the only place they had me go, going to Hawaii, I was going to an E-9 position at the squadron headquarters, uh, S-3. And then this guy that was there filling the position decided he didn't want to leave. So he pulled whatever strings and he got assigned. He kept him. So they told me the only position we got available over there for an E8 is at the ROTC detachment. Okay. So I go over there. I'm in the ROTC detachment. Selection, secondary zone for E9 comes out. All my counterparts at the academy, because Branch comes down and sits down with you, how do you want your career to proceed? Do you want to be a sergeant major? Do you want to be a command sergeant major? Well, everybody says you got to be a sergeant major for a year first and run an office before they'll select you for command. The lady asked me that question. I said, I don't want to be a command sergeant major. You don't want to be a sergeant major? No. I didn't come in the Army to sit behind a desk. I came in the Army to lead troops. Okay. So 
secondary zone, I get selected for command sergeant major. All right, so what's the difference? <laughs> sergeant majors run offices. Command sergeant majors work under a lieutenant colonel or higher that has a command of over 300 soldiers. So 300, that's significant. Mm -hmm. What's the, the structure? So you, you got a platoon... Companies, no, no. yeah, you got you got you got squads, platoons, companies. So three hundred soldiers in the army. What do you? Uh, three hundred. No, in my ground calf squadron, I had over a thousand soldiers. Okay, so it, it, the terminology it's is, the, it is depends on what in the aviation squadron. I had like uh, three hundred and fifty, but just about every one of them was a one officer. They were pilots. Ah, pilots! You got to watch out for the pilots. Hemorrhoids. <laughs> So, all right, so so anyway, I, I'm selected for uh, to be be a command sergeant major. So I'm sitting in a ROTC detachment in an uh, E nine position, but it's not an uh, command position. It's an office position. It's okay. a sergeant major position. I'm not going to be a sergeant major. I'm going to be a command sergeant major. Colonel French, who was my escort officer when I came back from D.C., is the first ROTC, or fourth ROTC region commander. When the uh, first uh, ROTC commander retired or left, he pulled his wrangles and everything, and he developed Cadet Command. It's all four ROTC regions under one command. And that authorized him a... Command Sergeant Major. What he didn't know, it had also authorized every one of his regional commanders a Command Sergeant Major. Now, he really wanted West Point. There was no way in hell that stupid son of a bitch was ever going to get West Point put under cadet command. But he thought he was. So now they done built this command. So Colonel French, or uh, uh, General French, had an S3 officer named Colonel Quartz. He sends Colonel Quartz to Hawaii under the auspice of, of inspecting training. Colonel Quartz had one question to be answered. And don't come back without the right answer. Um, I'm an E-8, Master Sergeant. Say, Sergeant, can I talk to you? Colonel Quartz. Yes, sir, what is it? Colonel French told me to ask you one question. Okay. Colonel French would like to know, would you like to be his command sergeant major? <laughs> that was the whole, whole reason for being there. I was the only promotable to command sergeant major in the fourth region. So they were either, and Colonel French wanted one of his sergeant majors to be his command sergeant major. So they flew him out to Hawaii. They flew for Colonel Quartz from a Fort uh, Washington, Fort Lewis. Fort Lewis, sure. Uh, out, out to Hawaii to, to find out if you... To ask me that question. So was that, you are excited after that? Well, hell what? yeah. You're damn right. I'll go out under under a general under my first assignment mm -hmm. as a sergeant major. you damn right. But y'all better understand, I ain't going back down. <laughs> but uh, And it was, uh, it was greased. It was going to happen. Mm -hmm. The cadet... Command, Command Sergeant Major, blocked it. I mean, Sergeant Major of the Army had approved it. And he 
He blocked it. All right. <clears throat> so once you finished up that experience. And uh, yeah, I did. I went up to the 27th Infantry and the 25th as a uh, the Sergeant Major died on a PT run. So On a PT run? Uh-huh. Did you have a heart attack? Yeah. Holy cow. So uh, and that was the only place I was making command Sergeant Major. Uh, and they didn't want to move me back to the States. That was one of the reasons uh, they tried to use to uh, uh, not let me go out under, under French because I had just been been in Hawaii for a year, and it's a three-year tour. And so did you, uh, from Hawaii, did your unit, did you guys participate in Gulf War One? Not from there. I uh, I got assigned there. I was twice, I was, well, no, three times. I was uh, nominated to become the, Brigades, uh, brigade sergeant level sergeant major, and a division sergeant major blocked it. So I went up to ask him, "What what the hell was his problem was?" So he t- just looked at me and he's SF drunk, a drunk SSF guy. And he looked at me and says, "This is a, a sergeant major's level. It is branches immaterial. You go any damn place unit in, in the army as a sergeant major." Mm-hmm. He says. This is an infantry division. I'm an infantry sergeant major. Ain't never going to be anything in, my, in in this division that's not infantry in a brigade level position. As long as I'm here, so I called Branch. I says I've been there, been there for two years. And I says you got to move me. Says, what the hell for? You you got another at least another year. I said no, huh? And I went through what I told that lady what I had uh, division sergeant major told me. I says, I'm not going to waste another year. I've already wasted two years here. I'm not going to waste another year and have to go back someplace else and start over again. So they agreed and moved me from Hawaii to Fort Bliss, Texas. Where I took Fort over, Bliss again. Fort Bliss, where I took over the 3rd Squadron, 3rd Army Cavalry Regiment, Ground Squadron. And the colonel wanted me to do that. I'm very ethical. I will not tell a lie. And I won't go looking for shit on people. And that's exactly what he wanted me to do. Nope. Ain't going to happen, sir. I'm not going to. I'm uh, start with it. He wanted me to get it on the regimental sergeant major. Well, I knew enough on the regimental sergeant major to give him everything he wanted. But I wasn't going to give it to him because I don't, I don't play that game. So that was the, uh, so you're in Fort Bliss. Uh, squadron commander. Squadron commander. So, my, so it was decided uh, either he had to leave or I had to leave. Was going to lose that battle, so I went over and took over the fourth squadron. And this was was this your official last, last tour ass- tour last assignment in the army? Mm-hmm. And did you deploy to Gulf War One? Yeah. Okay. With how was that experience? Oh, it's been a had, while. I had more fun with him. One officer over there. I mean, I had more damn fun with those stupid son of bitches. And this is aviation units, aviation. warrant officer pilots in Iraq, Gulf War One. Uh huh. And we are. Well, first thing, I get over and I decided I'm, I want to fly front seat on a Cobra. So I call up my maintenance first sergeant. Hey, see if you can't line me up a front seat flight on the Cobra. Oh, hey, Chief So and So is taking up one on a test flight this afternoon. You want to fly with him? Pause, pause, and I really trusted. So, sure. So, I got a helmet on and everything, climbing the front seat. They hooked up with uh, uh, the Gatling gun up to me, and here we go. 
And we're up there flying around. Chief Schlitt comes over the radio and says, Sorry, Major, I got to do it. I'm going to, don't worry. This is okay. I got to do this to test such and such, such, such a system. I said, Chief, go ahead and do whatever you've got to do. I know you know what you're doing. You're not going to run me into the ground. Just do it. He's like, Okay. So he does and goes through all of his tests and everything. And we're, so he finishes up and we're up there flying around. He says, Hey, Sergeant Major, you want to try it? So sure. Uh, yep. So he tells me what I got to do and everything. So I'm up there and he says, okay, you ready? I'm going to give it to you. I said, okay. And he goes, <laughs> and he settles out. You flew, a, you flew a Cobra. So I'm sitting over there. I've got these toggles. I'm doing a little shit looking. <laughs> and the chief comes over the radio and says, hey, Sergeant Major, have you ever thought about going to flight school? You're a natural. I turn around and like him. I says, chief. Do you think I'm so damn stupid? I don't know. You got your hands all over those fucking controls. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. So we can't get over on you, can you? Can we? I said no. Y'all, y'all need to quit trying. So yeah, but uh, we and uh, it wasn't long after that. Cobra Redding. When we left Cobra Red, Fort Bliss, our Cobra Redding rate was ninety six percent. That's really good. That's that's really really good. It is. We have one aircraft down. We get to uh, Saudi Arabia, take the aircraft off the ship, put the plates back up, flew them out to a similar area, woke up the next morning. Our COBRA readiness rate is 10. And we went like that for about a week. And Colonel XO and I were sitting in the tent talking one night, and the Colonel looks at me and says, Sergeant Major, we got to do something about the COBRA readiness rate. So uh, we got to get them up. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, Crew chiefs work on the aircraft all day, pull perimeter guard all night. It'd be nice if the pilots would do something like vacuum out the aircraft. Oh, no, they can't do that. Why not? Well, they got to have that crew rest. I said, they're what? <laughs> he said, they're crew rest. I said, what the hell is that? He said, Sergeant Major, you know a pilot's got to have eight hours of uninterrupted rest. And I had set him up for this. Uninterrupted rest before they fly. Looked at him, I says, they ain't flying. Took about two seconds, he says, Sergeant Major, you got a point. XO, tomorrow morning, all officers not in command position are officer of the guard. All warrant officers are sentinel of the guard. Pull the crew chiefs off the perimeter, put them back on the aircraft. Next morning, cover red in the straight, 96%. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> so, so you love pilots. I, I I do. I, I, they're a lot of fun. They get they're, they're so stupid. They got to be fun. <laughs> did Did Taco tell you what I did in the Marine Corps? I, I only that you flew F no, yeah F 18s Yeah F 18s No, no I flew an F eighteen. I believe it. Where'd you fly an F eighteen? Uh, Fort Worth. You got to ride in the back of an F eighteen. No, you flew the F eighteen. Was it like you flew the Cobra? No. When was this? Two, three years ago? No kidding. Uh-huh. How was that? It was great until I, till I had to land, and then I crashed that sim- the hell out of that simulator. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great takeoff, shot the bridge, uh, missed my carrier landing by eight feet. Eight feet. I was eight feet too high. Yeah, that's too much. And I missed my carrier landing, came back, shot the uh, uh, canyon mm-hmm. through, the, through, through the city. Yep. Had to land and tore that bitch to 
hell, I couldn't find the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> so wh- who set you up with that? That's Taco. Uh, Taco did. Yeah, did yeah. Was it with, uh, do you remember which squadron? Uh, the one that's got, uh, got the uh, uh, simulators there at Fort, uh, at Fort Worth so the, at the base. Uh, was it Marine Squadron? Yeah. 112, the Cowboys. All right, good. Whatever. Know. I got you. I got some buddies over there, so no worries. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah. you got to, so Cobra, Hornet Sim. So you almost made it. You just crashed your airplane at the end. I, yeah, I just cracked. I couldn't find it. Everybody told me you, the brakes were on top of the pedals. You have to push them down. It's true. Yeah. I got to get some bitches to go down. That's all right. It happens. Didn't matter. It was yeah. simulator. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to get hurt. All right, so let's let's kind of we've been going for we're almost at an hour and forty minutes. It's going quick. So we're the goal of you know the podcast and especially talking with someone who's got your experience is some type of lesson, you know, something that you know you took away from your time in the army that you apply now. But also as part of the the community of Medal of Honor recipients. Did you have a chance to speak to different people, go speak to different schools, groups of people? What was something that you tried to at least pass on when you were when you doing those type of presentations? Uh, everybody has certain tools that they're given for them to run their lives with. Your most important tool the only ones you have that only you can affect. Nobody else can affect it. And if you ever lose it, you'll never get it back. Do not jeopardize your integrity. Because your integrity is the only thing. And I learned this when I became a scout, actually. Your integrity is the only asset that you have that only you can control. Nobody else can control it for you. You can. And if you fuck it up, you'll never get it back. Because nobody will ever trust you again. It's a good lesson. Good lesson. So I, you would share, that's part, that was part of what you would present when you did some... Uh, that's what I, I, when I... It depends on who I'm talking to. Sure. Uh, school kids, absolutely. I, when I talk to high school kids... I'll go in and I'll recognize the principal and whoever else is in there. Then I'll say, okay, now that I've done the uh, politically correct thing to do, I'm going to talk to the most important people in this room. You. Because the rest of them don't matter. You're all that matters. And then I'll start. And I I use building a house. How so? I say, uh, what you're doing right now is you're building a house. You're building your life. And right now, you're doing the most important part of building your house. So what can that be? You know, if you have to go up, when I'm, finally one of them will say, foundation. Right. You're building your foundation. You're, you're going to school. You're learning. All the stuff that you're learning now, is gonna, you're going to take it on out into life with you. I said, you have... Right now, you have one responsibility. Learn. So I want you to go out and have a good old time. Enjoy yourself. Charge every bit of it back to mom and dad. And then we'll go on about 
Okay, later on, you're going to put the walls up. Then you're going to put the roof on. Then as you graduate from high school, you're going to be ready. You're going to go into college. Now, how many of you are going to college? Yeah, everybody. Not at, well, not everybody. Okay. How many are not going to college because you can't afford it? Bunch of hands go up. You're lying. Have you ever heard of this thing called grants and scholarships? If you have a school advisor, go sit down and talk to them. If they ain't called you in, you call them. You go in, you sit down, talk to them. They know where every one of those scholarships are at, everywhere all those grants are at, and they can help you get them. You can go to school, college and come out debt-free if you want to. But when college, you go to college, you're going to learn learn, and you are now putting the electricity in. You're putting the plumbing in. So the time you leave college, your man's cave is ready. Except, guys, one thing. She's going to redecorate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. And that's, that's the way I, way I approach it with them. Okay. And, and I, I think I, you know, I, I can say I've, sometimes we'll have two people, two recipients in one classroom. Mm-hmm. And you listen to, I've listened to guys. I mean, I listened to one tell them how they weren't going to be anything but damn druggies. Yeah, and not, he was probation officer in Hawaii. It's not too inspiring. Yeah. It's not what they're for. Talk to that kid talk, and talk to them at their level. Right. Build the house. Build that house. Build the house. So what do you do now? What do you do for hobbies, for fun? I see a bunch golf, of animals. Animals on the wall. Golf, hunt, NASCAR races. There you go. And when are you coming to Charlotte? Uh, May for the Coca-Cola 500. All right. Because I live right across the street. Uh-huh. So from, No, you across the street from, from, from the, the Hall of Fame. Fame. Hall of Fame. That is a uh, well, good stuff. So NASCAR racing, hunting, and good I got, stuff. I, 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 play, I told you I play golf. The society has this. Our official, unoffic- our unofficial, official twin pro. And every uh, March, I go out to Riverside, California, and play in the Stater Brothers Dave Stockton Heroes Challenge. Dave Stockton is the go-to person for putting. Putting. All the pros, when they need to uh, uh, twick their putting, they go to Dave Stockton. No kidding. The way Dave putts, as he's walking up the green, fairway to the green, he's looking at the green. Who wants to see where the slopes are at? Then he gets up there, so lines his ball up. He walks from his ball to the cup on the low side of the ball. He picks the spot he wants that ball to enter that cup at. Turns and walks back to his ball, lines up his putt, puts his putter down in front of the ball, picks it up, puts it down behind the ball, and putts. He's never taken his eye off that spot since he left it. The, the spot where he... Wants the ball to go in the cup. He focuses on that the whole time. The whole time. I couldn't do that if my damn life depended <laughs> on it. Trip, get lost. And every yeah. time I, I, I go, he does a little clinic with us every time we go out there. <clears throat> every time I go out there, I find something I won't, I won't tinker with. And I said, Dave, got a question. 
for you. Now, now it's staying focused on the game. I says, yeah. I says, I'm having. What do I need to do? I'm having problems maintaining focus. He says, just a minute. Goes back in his room, his office. Comes back and he's got this little book. Read it. <laughs> and that's just that, that, that's how you. That's how he could. <laughs> what was the book? How how to man, uh, uh, managing your fo- focus of your game. Okay, there you go. How's your game now? Same, 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 same. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm, I'm more bogey than I am double bogey. I'm du- bogey, double bogey, but I'm more bogey than I am double. So you're improving. Oh hell, I've been you playing, got time. I've been playing golf since '73. So you, I don't know why you're not on the PGA Tour yet. Shit, <laughs> I got to stay out of the woods first. There you go. That helps. Awesome. I play military golf. <laughs> left, right, left, right. Where's my tree trimming money? <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds definitely about right. So, we'll say, Bob, I think uh, Sunday night it's going on six o'clock. What do you think? What time's dinner around here? Uh, whatever time she tells me it's ready. There you go. So, who's the real command sergeant major here? I am. <laughs> that's that's because <laughs> as he looks over his shoulder. <laughs> nice. Well, at this point, Bob, I'm just going to turn it over to you. If there's any saved rounds, any last-minute you know, nuggets you can share, anything like that, you got some stories, anything that if anybody here listens to this and you know, they take it away and they can apply something from this conversation, you know, anything at all, floor is yours. Don't listen to all the bullshit and crap you hear read over the Internet, you hear on TV. Life is life. It's yours to live. Live it, enjoy it, or just go on and die. Straight up. Straight up. Straight up. I like it. Bob, sir, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for, you know, spur of the moment, just being able to come over here, hang out, tell stories. Thank you for the coin and the book. (laughs) Really, really cool. And when you come to Charlotte, whenever it is, uh, there are some – Really good places, one to shoot. There's a really good range just down the street. I play uh, Charlotte. And also a lot of good golf uh, options. I played, I played, I got sold in Charlotte. Sold. 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 On what? I got sold. They put me up for sale and sold me. I'm a slave. In Charlotte? In Charlotte. How's that go? Well, I was playing in the USO uh, golf tournament fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, Mike Thornton and I. And Mike Thornton, the guy you fought? What? No, I never did fight that big son of a bitch. Oh, this is the seal. Yeah, that you're told about earlier. So you never fought him. No, I never okay. fought him. But you guys are buddies now. Oh yeah. Okay. But uh, uh, in fact, I'm going out uh, March and playing in his tournament to da- in Dallas. No, no, we're going to Scottsdale this time. Okay. Uh, but uh, we were at this tournament. For the USO in North Carolina. And it was the auction period. And there was this guy named Roy Towsey that was there. Roy uh, became very good friends, was very very good friends with Dave uh, McIntyre's pilot. Dave had the contract for Tri West, Tri uh, Care west of the Mississippi. He had that contract from the government, two billion dollars a year. So he had his own jet. And this guy flew him, flew the jet for him. Roy and him were real good friends. He wanted to do something for the recipients, so he asked Dave, "Well, what what do they like to do?" A lot of them loved to play golf. Okay, I got a friend. 
uh, let me ca- call him. He, so he calls Roy, talks to Roy. He says, Dave, uh, tell them they're all going to get a phone call, and we're looking for their age, height, weight, that kind of stuff, because Roy is going to make them their own golf clubs. Oh, wow. And he did. That's really cool. So you got custom golf clubs. Uh-huh. So we're at this tournament. Roy's there. Roy has made a golf bag for this tournament to auction to raise money. Wherever you're at, if you ever get into an if you're running an auction and you want to make money, this is the way you do it. They had these two girls there, and their husbands were there, and their husbands had wallets about that thick. Them two stupid zombies got drunk. And them two women said, we're going to teach your ass. Mike Thornton and I got sold for 35000 each. 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 That's a pretty good price. Yeah. They ended up, they, uh, well, they had started the bid off. It was just a golf bag. And these two started going. I mean, they were going backwards and forth between each other. And this idiot, he keeps throwing something in there every once in a while. So finally, Roy says, hey, I'll tell you what. What if I make you a set of clubs? <laughs> Here he comes, buddy. It's really flying now. Idiot throwing. Wait a minute. What if, in addition to the bag, the clubs, I fly you to Scottsdale and give you private lessons? <laughs> this thing is going. And they hit, they hit, uh, Thirty-two thousand, and then one of them says uh, thirty-four, and Yo-Yo over here says, "Well, I'll guarantee you, I'll give, I'll give you thirty-three right now." Auctioneer looked over here and says, "Do I really look like I'm stupid to you? I know I probably sound stupid, but do I really look like I'm stupid? I'm gonna throw away." $70,000 for your 33? Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> so these two girls got uh, a golf bag, clubs, lessons, and Mike and I played a round of golf with them. That's a win. So, But Mike and I ain't played that round of golf yet. Oh, so you got to play it. You still got to cash Hell, that was, that was uh, five years ago. You got to cash in. It, no, it's they got to cash in. Oh, God, that's what it's okay. Definitely. They got to cash in. Guess whose golf course it is? In, it's in Arizona. No, since Charlotte. Charlotte. Right outside of Charlotte. Don't know. Donald Trump's. Donald Trump's golf course. All he, right. he bought it. We were the last tournament to play on that course before Donald took ownership of it. And he, when he took, bought it, he uh, immediately said he was putting... $3 million into upgrades on that golf course. So when are you playing it? Hell, I don't know. I got to be invited. It's kind of like Augusta. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to be. Can't just show up. Yeah. yeah. It's like can't, Augusta. Can't just you, can't just, sure. you ain't just walking on. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Well, I expect uh, if you get time when, when you do play Charlotte, I'd, I'd be happy to take you out for uh, for a beverage, <laughs> you know, next time you come in town. So. Well, Bob, sir, it's been a blast. Thank you for the time again. You're welcome. Let's do this again, honestly. Open invite anytime you come to Charlotte, and 
Uh, a special thanks to retired Lieutenant Colonel Mitch Taco Bell for saying this <laughs> up. Any, uh, any loving words for Mitch for Taco? If you don't show up, I'm going to shoot your damn airplane out of the sky. Okay. Taco, you heard it. All right. Bob, thanks again. Okay. All right. All right.